Good morning. I'm Summer. And I'm Alex. Today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 7 and the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Isaiah 7 and Luke 1, starting with verse 26. Following the reading, we will light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. You may be seated. Today, we light the candle of hope. May it remind us of the hope we have in Jesus. He is our hope, our redeemer, and our savior. It's good, it's good. <laughs> Please pray with me. Father, you are the hope of the world. During this Advent season, help us to slow down and to hear your voice. May we be reminded of your promises to us. We place our hope in you as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Good. Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Haverhill Commons. It's great to see you. Great to be with you. Uh, Thanksgiving's officially over. We've passed it. It's in our rear view mirrors. It's on to Christmas. The Webbles are a huge Christmas family. We are all in on all things Christmas every single year. Uh, we don't really do Black Friday, that's like not our thing, but we do do cut down our Christmas tree on Friday. Um, I'm still waiting for someone to combine those two things so that we can do our cut down our Christmas tree at half price. But no, <laughs> we still cut down, alas, full price for our Christmas tree. All part of being festive. This is, yeah, this is, yeah, it's Friday. Um, all part of our festivities as we get ready for the next month. Because the next month is going to be what would you use? What words would you use to describe this next month? What is this next month going to be for you? Um, awesome? Joyful? Hectic? Exhausting? 
stressful, maybe even lonely for some of us, or painful for some of us. As we careen, I think, into this next month, I want to pause to acknowledge there are a lot of different emotions to the holidays, different expectations, different fears, different hopes. Our word clouds, if we were to make word clouds, would all be very different from each other's. And that's okay. The Lord can handle all of our different thoughts and emotions. So this morning, I want us to bring all of ourselves to the Lord, honestly, and trust that God doesn't think we're too much, or God doesn't think we're not enough. We can come just as we are. So let's all come before the Lord together in this moment for silence and prayer. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we bring ourselves to you. We know that your word is true and good, and it brings us life. Enable us to receive your word this morning, so that it may nourish our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So as Alex and Summer mentioned, the church world, in the church world, this is the start of Advent, the start of the Advent season. And the word Advent literally means coming. It means coming. It's a season to remember and to relive the fact that Jesus has come, and Jesus will come again. So because it's a season of coming and expectation, it's also a season of waiting, and I gotta be honest, I hate waiting for just about anything. I hate waiting in the traffic, at uh, the stoplight, I hate waiting at the line, at the grocery store. I can be so incredibly impatient with any type of waiting. But so often, I don't have a choice. I just have to wait. For example, two years ago, I had open heart surgery. It's a pretty brutal procedure, and they told me ahead of time that it's gonna be about a week before you can go home. Okay, a week, I can do a week, six, seven days, I can do this, I got this. Man, there had to be like extra days in that week, friends. Like there's eight or nine days in there for sure. First, there was this constant chest pain that I had to deal with. A cut in half and sewn back together sternum is not a picnic, let me tell you. We were also full stream COVID, so only Megan could come visit me, and she couldn't stay super long in the hospital because kids. So I endured large chunks of every single day alone, waiting, waiting, I couldn't really sleep because I'm a front sleeper and you can't really lay on your front when you have a sewn together sternum, so wasn't sleeping well. Couldn't really eat much because the food in cardiac rehab, I don't know if you guys know this, the food in cardiac rehab has literally no flavor, like at all. There's like nothing in it. I had no idea that a piece of boiled chicken could taste so horrible just on its own, but it tastes horrible. So I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't doing well, I was just waiting, waiting waiting for my blood pressure to stabilize, waiting for my heart rate to slow down, waiting for the meds to kick in and work, waiting for the strength to stand again, waiting for the strength to walk again, waiting for the strength to climb stairs again. By the end of the week, or was it a month? I don't know. I was wretched. I was feeling horrible. It was honestly kind of scary how desperate I was to get out of there at any cost. That old story about Faust making a deal with the devil started to feel a little too tempting to me in that moment. I was desperate to get out of there. Maybe you've never spent a week in a recovery unit, but we all know what waiting feels like. We know what it's like to long for change and to not know if or how that change will come to us. We know what it's like to feel powerless to change our circumstances. Our lives are full of waiting, waiting to graduate and get out of the house, waiting to hear back from that job interview or that school application, waiting to get married someday, waiting to have kids 
waiting to get promoted, waiting to buy a house, waiting for our health to improve, waiting for our minds to get healthier, waiting for our family dynamics to change, waiting for the adoption to go through. We're waiting for the world to feel less crazy, for the pandemic to really finally end, waiting for politics to be less volatile, waiting for justice to finally come, waiting for the climate to implode, waiting for the next piece of really bad news that's just going to ruin our day, even waiting for the end to come so that we can have our suffering be over and finally go and be with Jesus, waiting. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What change do you long for but you feel powerless to make happen? What are you waiting for? Waiting is an experience we can all relate to, especially around Christmas when we're waiting for Christmas morning to come and all the presents and capturing photos of our kids in coordinated PJs whether they want that to happen or not. Every single year. (laughs) Or perhaps waiting for Christmas to just be over, right? So that things can go back to normal and we can stop pretending that everything's fine all the time around everybody that we're near. You know, Christmas as a season of waiting makes sense because the original story was a story of waiting. It's a story captured so well by the song that we sang earlier this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is our oldest Christmas song that we have. The tune we all know and love dates back to the 1800s, but the lyrics are much older than that. They go back to the 800s, back to when monks and priests chanted in Latin prayers called Vespers every morning leading up to Christmas morning. The words of their chant were inspired by something much older even still. The verses to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel are rooted in the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah who wrote these words, and these words were written down around 500 BCE. So when we sing this song, we are echoing a longing that's over 2,500 years old. Each week in Advent, for the next five weeks, we're going to look at one verse of the song at a time, and how it's connected to Israel's longing from Isaiah, and then how that longing is answered by the birth of Jesus in the Gospels. We start this week with the very first line, and the very first verse, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. The words are drawn from this verse, from Isaiah 7, 14. It says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a, like, all right then, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Isaiah spoke these words, his nation, the nation of Israel, had been conquered and subdued by the Babylonians. The people of God were living in captivity in a foreign land. They were longing and waiting, longing for their homes again, longing for their temple, longing to be able to practice their religion freely again, longing for freedom, longing and waiting. And there was nothing they could do to change their circumstances. They were longing and waiting for something to change, for a Savior to come and save them and deliver them. And Isaiah told them that a Savior would come, a Messiah would deliver them, but it was a Messiah with a twist. In his telling of the story, Isaiah said that the Messiah would be humble, not proud. He would serve rather than conquer. He'd accept suffering on himself rather than inflict it on others. He was just the kind of bewildering, surprising, confusing deliverer that God so often sent. A deliverer that required a miracle to happen. Change would come, but not the way you expect it to come. Change would come, and God would do it. And God would do it in God's way and in God's timing. All right, so fast forward from that moment in Isaiah up to the first century. 
Israel is again waiting, but they've graduated from the Babylonian captivity. That's so last millennia. Since, they've traded up for much bigger and badder empires. They've gone through the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, and each of these empires has taken turns conquering and battering Israel. And this went on for 400 years. For 400 years, Israel struggled to survive, waiting and longing for something to change. 400 years. As a frame of reference, America, how old are we? 246 years old. So 400 years is a long time to wait. And after 400 years of abuse, the Jews were sick of it. They had no idea how long they would suffer. They were powerless to do anything about it. And to make matters even worse, for that whole long stretch of time, they had not heard from God. They hadn't heard from God. There hadn't been a prophet since Malachi. No fresh covenants, no new promises, no words from God at all. God was seemingly silent for those 400 years. It's hard to convey just how desperate the people were for change. Way worse than my post-surgery waiting, I'm sure. So desperate for a savior that they started to see saviors around every single corner. But each self-proclaimed Messiah fizzled out and got themselves killed and their rebellions crushed. And the people were still waiting. Still waiting. Until one day, when an angel, Gabriel, came to a young woman and told her some amazing news. To our verses for this morning. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel, and his kingdom will never end. With this birth, with this child, the waiting was over. The gospel writers saw the fulfillment of all the promises God had ever made in Scripture about the Messiah all the ones in Isaiah and every other prophecy. For starters, he would be called the son of the most high, we read. God would be his father. He would be God's son. Next, he would be the king in the line of David back before the empires crushed them, back when they had their own king. And the child's kingdom would be one that the prophet Samuel talked about. It would be a kingdom that never ended. All of these things would be true about this child. The long, long wait was over at last. And his name, his name was going to be Jesus. And the word Jesus literally means the Lord is salvation. That's what Jesus means. The Lord is salvation. And this child, God's Messiah, the Lord is salvation, wouldn't just ransom captive Israel. He was going to save the whole world, every nation, every tongue. It's a lot to take in if you're Mary. That's a lot of information to absorb. Gabriel? And Mary's response to all of this was... I think similar to the response that we often have when we're stuck in waiting and someone comes and offers us hope. Her response to all this amazing information is, but how? But how? How is this going to happen? How in the world is what you're saying going to actually happen? So for Mary, there's the obvious how, right? Like, how am I going to have a baby? No husband. <laughs> so getting pregnant seems pretty impossible. What's the plan here, archangel? How's this going to go down? I don't understand. How? There's an immediate physical hurdle in the way. But I also think there's another possible how in her question. Gabriel has just said some pretty incredible things about this supposed baby. Son of the Most High, throne of David, a never-ending kingdom. How all that? Angel, like how is that going to happen? Saving the world? How? All that seems more impossible than getting pregnant. How can one single person be all that and do all that? How? It's a pretty big how. 
And Gabriel's response to her huge question is simply, God will do it. God will do it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cover you. The Lord will do this thing. The Lord will do it. So I don't know about you, but on one hand, God will do it is a pretty frustrating answer. Right? God will do it means that I'm still powerless to change my circumstances. I'm still powerless to bring about that change myself. It means I still have to wait, like I've been waiting. I still have to struggle. I still have to wonder and worry, when will things change? How will they change? What will the change look like? Will I like the change? God, God will do it means that I still have to trust that God will do it in God's way and in God's timing, which means I'm back to waiting, which is hard. But on the other hand, the answer is incredible. God will do it acknowledges that what we face is beyond our ability to control. God will do it acknowledges that we cannot bring about what we need to happen. A forever kingdom, salvation of the world, we can't do that. Mary couldn't do that. She couldn't birth salvation on her own. That child was impossible. The whole thing was impossible. But don't worry, it's not up to you. God will do it. That's what the angel said. God will do it. And that was it. God will do it. Question answered. Problem solved. Peace out. Movie over. Go home. But remarkably, Gabriel adds another detail. One more gift. One post-credit bonus scene. So worth paying attention to and sticking around for. In this next verse, the angel says this. Can I just tell you, Mary, that Elizabeth, your relative, the one you know can't have a baby, is also pregnant with an impossible child. Her child will also do incredible things. So here's why that's such an amazing post-credit scene. I imagine that being singled out and chosen as the one person to be the mom of the Messiah was a pretty scary proposition. I imagine that being that person might make you feel pretty lonely and isolated. So in addition to this grand pronouncement, God will do it, God also gave Mary another gift. God gave Mary a companion to go through that journey with her. Someone who was going through what she was going through. And not just someone, her own relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was proof of concept. Elizabeth was exhibit A that, as it says in verse 37, the word of the Lord will never fail. Mary wasn't alone. Elizabeth was with her. And waiting is so different when you're waiting alone versus when you're waiting with someone else. When I face my surgery and the week-long hospital stay and the three-month recovery afterwards, I had my brother Aaron, who 20 years earlier had had the exact same surgery that I was having. See, we, we didn't know it at the time, but we share a genetic syndrome that led us to need new ascending aortas. His ruptured when he was in college as a freshman without warning. And he was flown by helicopter to a surgery that saved his life. Facing my own surgery was easier knowing that he'd already been through it. And we talked about it a lot before the surgery. He told me what to expect. He told me what to watch out for. He even talked to the geneticist who discovered and named our syndrome. He found and recommended a cardiothoracic surgeon for me right here at Mass General. He was living proof. He was living proof that I wasn't alone. He faced what I was facing. I wasn't alone. I had my brother. 
And now, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, right? Not on myself, not on my brother, not on two of my kids who have inherited this thing from me, but at the same time, I'm so thankful that I, have, that I had my brother. We share scars, and we share stories. And in both of our stories, we can truthfully say that God did it. In my waiting, one of the ways that God helped me was by giving me someone who knew what I was going through. God gave Mary Elizabeth, and God gave me Aaron. God often puts someone near us to help us through the waiting. God doesn't have to do that, but God often does put us near others with similar stories so that in our waiting, we are not alone. Of course, we do have some agency. While we're waiting, we can do things to change our circumstances. We can jump on dating apps. We can take steps to be in community. We can send out job applications. We can eat healthier diets. But there is still a limit to the change that we can affect. We still cry out to God. We still wait for things beyond our control, and we aren't certain about the outcomes. So Mary's question is so often still our question, Lord, how? Like, how? This? It's a longing echoed in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. In the song Isaiah, in the song and in Isaiah, we hear an answer to that longing. The refrain of that song, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel shall come. It's interesting, the verbs there are future tense, right? Emmanuel shall come to you. So they waited. For us, in this moment, the verbs are past tense. God has come not shall come, God has come. Jesus has come, and now he is with us. With us in our struggle, with us while we wait. He has faced what we face. He knows what it's like. God didn't give me just Aaron. God gave me God. And I want to stress this morning that when it comes to the ultimate questions, the really big hows in our lives, how will this whole broken, messed up world ever be put back together again? How can all of this be healed? Who will save us? from sin, and who will save us from death? God's answer has been given. Jesus has come. God is with us. Jesus is living proof that God has done it. God has ransomed the captives. God has set prisoners free. He has risen from the grave. He has given us new life. Here for a time we struggle and we suffer. Here, as it says in 1 Corinthians, our bodies are buried in darkness. Here our bodies are buried in weakness, but in But when Christ comes again, our bodies will be raised, will be raised in glory, raised in strength. So in a very real way, knowing that the victory over sin and death has already been won, and knowing that one day we will be raised and our bodies transformed into ones that will never die, that changes the nature of our waiting. We don't wait with uncertainty, wondering if it's going to turn out okay. We wait knowing that God is with us, and God will do what God promised to do. Our hope doesn't end with a question mark. Our hope ends with an exclamation point. You know, it's interesting. Even though it's about the future, hope really isn't rooted in the future. It's actually rooted in the past. We have hope in what God will do because of what God has already done. It's not a coin flip. It's not wishful thinking. It's anchored by the fact that a baby was born to Mary a child who was God with us, a child who was given the name Jesus, the Lord is salvation, a child who made a way for us to be free, who brought salvation and peace to the whole world, a Savior who at this very moment is sitting at the right hand of God, pleading for us, and a Savior who at this very moment is here with us in this space. 
As we wait, it's worth remembering all that God has already done for us in Christ. And if that was all, if that was all that God had done for us, it would be enough. Wouldn't it? God has already given us the greatest thing God could ever give us. God has already given us his own son, and there is nothing that God can do to add to or improve upon the gift of Jesus. I could stop there, right? Because Jesus is enough. But Gabriel didn't stop there. Gabriel had an additional specific personal encouragement just for Mary, the gift of Elizabeth. And sometimes God comes to us with an additional specific personal encouragement for us too. In Romans, Paul wrote, 832, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Since God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up, won't he also give us everything else included? If God has already given us the son, the greatest possible gift, won't God also give us a bunch of smaller gifts, a bunch of Elizabeths along the way? So, sometimes, sometimes, in addition to giving us Jesus, in addition to giving us eternal life and eternal union with God, new hearts, new purpose, new power, sometimes God will also give us the other things we wait for, a spouse, a child, a job, the healing of our bodies, the healing of our minds, the healing of our families, sometimes. We already have Christ. And sometimes we have so many other Elizabeths too. And for all of us, we can be incredibly grateful. And for all the rest, we wait. For all the rest, we hope. And it is still hard. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I like a lot. I think it captures our experience of waiting and hoping. It's a song so full of lyrical assurances and certainty. God's promises are in verse after verse. And, interestingly, it is a very sad-sounding song in a minor key. It doesn't feel triumphal. It doesn't feel joyful. It doesn't feel holly jolly Christmassy. In tone, it feels melancholy. It conveys longing. It comes out like an ache. And yet, the refrain, the part we sing over and over again at the end of every single verse, the words that appear are rejoice, rejoice. Even while we wait for change, even as we long for things to be different, even as we endure the ache of the suffering of this world, our refrain remains rejoice, rejoice. The Savior has come. The Savior is here, and the Savior will come again. Rejoice. I ask again, what are you waiting for in this season? What are you waiting for? As we enter Advent, as we recognize and observe this season this year, as we bring our longings to the Lord, our ache to the Lord, my prayer for each one of you is that you can be honest with God about your longings, that you can pray a lot of, how, God? How? How long? When? And I also pray that you can see in the birth of Jesus that God has done it, and that God is doing it, and that God will do it. And I pray that just as we echo Mary's question, how, we can also echo her response in 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we live with such longing. You've made us this way. You've made us to long. You've made us to ache. Ultimately, I think, to ache for you. And all of our longing, ultimately what we want is you. And you have come. And so you have us. And we have you. And you are all. For the rest, Lord, we wait. And as we wait, help us to wait well, Lord. Help us to wait in a way that honors you. Help us to wait knowing that we're not alone. Help us to wait not with question marks, but with exclamation points. It's hard, but you are with us. And help us have eyes open for those around us who are also going through the same things we're going through or about to go through the same things we've already gone through and help us to support each other in the waiting. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name and with the assurance of his return. Amen.